Hi everyone, it's Rachel and I'm currently on maternity leave, recovering and caring for my new little guy. While I'm away, I'm sharing some of the most popular podcast episodes from the last couple of years, plus some of my personal favorites. In a second, I will tell you about why I picked this episode and what the guest has been up to since we recorded. But before that, I want to make sure to point you to our other two shows, The Strong Towns Podcast and Upsound. Both are actively publishing new episodes. Strong Towns Podcast runs on Mondays and Upzone runs on Wednesdays. So check those out if you're craving something new from Strong Towns. Head to strongtowns.org slash podcast to see those or just search for them in your podcast app. And of course, visit strongtowns.org for daily new articles. I'll see you back here in late January once I return from leave. Welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. This is turning into a nice series of inspiring elected officials who are dedicated to the Strong Towns approach, right? The last few episodes also were in this vein. Today's guest is Ashley Salvador, a remarkable young entrepreneur, planner, and leader based in Edmonton, Alberta, who was just elected to her city council. We'll hear from her in a moment. But first, let's chat about something happening right now at Strong Towns, our annual member week. All week on our website, our other podcasts, our email, we have been celebrating the thousands of amazing Strong Towns members that make up this movement. They are Safe Streets advocates in Hawaii, and mayors in Pennsylvania, and small business owners in Georgia. And if those references sound familiar, it's because every one of those stories was featured on the podcast this year. If you've ever listened to the show before and thought, wow, I wish I could do what Mary or Chris or Hale is doing in my city. You can. It just takes stepping up and committing to this movement by becoming a member of Strong Towns. This movement is made up of all sorts of people, and there's a place for you here. Become a member today at strongtowns.org membership. Thank you. All right, let's talk about today's guest, City Councilor Ashley Salvador. Before her recent election, Ashley ran an organization called Yegg Garden Suites. Um, Yegg is the abbreviation for Edmonton, where Ashley lives, and a garden suite is another term for an accessory dwelling unit, specifically a small detached housing unit located in someone's backyard or over a garage, things like that. So Ashley's been a huge proponent of making this sort of housing more legally and practically easy to build. She and her co-founder teach classes, provide resources, and advocate to decision makers all in pursuit of increased housing options and affordability through what she calls gentle density. Her leadership on this and other local issues eventually led her to step up and run for local office. Ashley's campaign, as you'll hear more about, brought together over 100 volunteers in a very grassroots effort, and now she's a brand new city councilor. In this interview, Ashley talks about the positive Strong Towns changes happening in Edmonton, how she got where she is today, and her advice for others hoping to be local leaders too. So here's my interview with Ashley Salvador. Ashley Salvador, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's great to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. 
Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and the work that you've been doing um, for the last years, kind of prior to running for office? And we'll get to that um, that part of your story in a second. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I am an urban planner. Uh, I also have a background in sustainability and sociology. And for the last few years, um, I've actually been operating a nonprofit that I founded here in Edmonton called Yike Garden Suites. So it's basically an education and advocacy-based group that pushes for gentle density within our existing communities. And through that work, you know, I became very familiar with municipal government and policies. Beyond that, I do have experience with economic development. I've worked with seniors, done a lot of work with multiculturalism and inclusion, uh, of course, housing as well and affordable housing. So I come from a very... uh, very interesting background, have worked in a bunch of different spaces, but in general, it's all centered around building better communities, uh, building more sustainable, vibrant, and healthy cities. Fantastic. And for people that aren't familiar with Edmonton um, in Alberta, can you talk to us a little bit about that community and like what are the, some, some of the challenges that you've seen Edmonton dealing with over the last few years? So Edmonton is the fifth largest city in Canada, and it's the capital city in the province of Alberta. So we're a city of a million, and we're actually one of the youngest and fastest growing cities in the country. We have a really vibrant arts and culture scene, a world-class educational institution, and a relatively affordable cost of living. Um, We're also located on the North Saskatchewan River, so we have this really beautiful stretch of parkland that kind of winds through the entire city. It's such a gem, everyone loves it, and it makes Edmonton quite special and unique. Uh, Historically, Edmonton has enjoyed pretty significant prosperity through oil and gas. Uh, We're kind of your classic prairie city as well, so we're very spread out, no natural boundaries, which has really shaped our urban form and driven a lot of suburban growth over the last few decades. Uh, That being said, though, Edmonton is at a bit of a point of transition. So we're looking to grow from a city of a million to a city of two million. And we're looking to accommodate that growth within our existing boundaries so that we can become a more environmentally, socially, and fiscally sustainable city. Finally, politically, I would say that over the past few city council cycles, we've really seen a shift towards more compact urban development, uh, investment in public and active transportation, and policies that are aimed at revitalizing our mature existing communities. Got it. I want to just hear a little bit more also about your housing organization, Yeg Garden Suites. How did you get inspired to start that and what have you worked on through that group? Yeah, so Yike Garden Suites really grew out of a research study that I did back in 2016. Um, So it was actually part of my undergrad thesis. I was very interested in sort of downsizing, um, smaller living arrangements, uh, but also how cities can start to gently densify so that we um, are able to, to, again, combat that sprawling growth um, and integrate more gentle density to existing communities. Uh, So I did a year-long study. I actually spoke with every garden suite owner that I could at the time in Edmonton, and there was about 150 of them at the time, (laughs) and I just started asking really comprehensive questions. You know, I wanted to know why people were building them. Uh, I wanted to know what their motivations were, what some of the barriers and challenges that they faced were, Um, also some of the, you know, affordability benefits and limitations, um, as well as the regulatory hurdles that they were facing. And... After that study, 
basically, to be quite frank, people started giving me calls, sending me emails saying, hey, I want to build a garden suite, uh, but it's a really confusing process. I don't really even know where to start, uh, but you seem to know something about them. <laughs> Do you think you could help me through that process? Um, and at the time, I mean, I was purely looking at them from kind of a research perspective, academic perspective, but we figured, okay, well, maybe we could hold some small information sessions, just you know, giving, giving people some background on what the zoning is. We brought together some local builders as well to talk about more of the technical side of things, as well as the city to speak to uh, really the regulatory context and what permitting would look like. And then we brought in some people who have actually gone through the process of building themselves just to show that it is possible for an average citizen to go through this process and come out the other side uh, reaping the benefits. And, you know, in terms of those benefits, I would say that at the time, about half of people were building for family members or friends. So there was a real interesting relational component that I really loved. Um, the other half were building for rental income, just to have kind of that passive mortgage helper. But as a housing form, they are quite unique because it's not, you know, professional developers coming in and redoing an entire site. It is homeowners who are looking to, you know, have a better lifestyle or take care of an aging parent or maybe house an adult child with a disability close to home. Yeah, it's such a cool model. And I love how you just like took those requests and ran with them from people who are interested. I'm assuming, you know, like in the many cities in the U.S., it is possible to create like accessory dwelling units, garden suites, but it is pretty challenging with all the different regulations. Um, is that the case in Edmonton too? So it used to be the case. You know, I always say that, yeah, garden suites is both an education and advocacy group. Uh, less advocacy these days <laughs> because over the past five years, a lot of really transformative changes have occurred to reduce those barriers. So here in Edmonton, you can now have a garden suite that is up to 1,400 square feet. You can even have a full basement in there. Edmonton was a leader in removing minimum parking requirements as well, which, I mean, I am such a nerd. I think that was just a massive move. Um, and, you know, you might not see immediate change, but it sets the stage for a less, uh, less auto-dependent urban form that is ultimately going to be more affordable and accessible for residents. But that was a major policy change. Allowing them really citywide was another big one, uh, as was allowing garden suites with um, existing secondary suites. So and the language and terminology can get a little confusing, but when I'm talking about garden suites, I'm talking about detached accessory dwelling units, um, also called laneway homes or carriage homes. And Edmonton also has, you know, attached accessory dwelling units, like a basement suite. So being able to have multiple suites on one property really opened the door uh, for a lot more folks in our city. So I, yes, I would say that Edmonton has really fantastic regulations when it comes to just allowing for more flexibility and choice for, for where people can build ADUs and what they can build. That's really great to hear about that progress. Um, and you mentioned the parking minimums for listeners. I'll share a link to the webcast that Ashley and some um, colleagues did for Strong Towns a little while back where they talked all about that effort to end parking minimums. And I learned a lot from that. So appreciated you sharing that um, a little while back. 
So you run this organization, um, you're really involved in housing issues. What led you to decide then to run for city council? So a few things. I was, you know, explaining some of my diverse experience, um, different background, and really the different realms that I've worked in when it comes to city building. And after a while, you start to realize that everything's connected. (laughs) Um, And being able to bring that kind of comprehensive, holistic perspective to the council side of the table Um, I thought that was incredibly important, you know, especially now when we're dealing with some really, really large scale challenges, you know, climate action um, is a big one. Edmonton's also currently uh, redoing its zoning bylaw, which is, again, a once in a generation type opportunity. Um, We're also dealing with some pretty challenging social issues Um, and being able to connect the dots between uh, you know, if you're having a conversation around transit, for example, well, that's also a conversation around equity. And it's also a conversation around affordability and inclusion and economic development and climate change. <laughs> so that's what I was hoping to provide. And there's also a part of me that really felt the need to provide kind of a fresh perspective, um, a younger voice, so that there's true representation at the table. What was it like to do the campaign and then to be elected. Yeah. So campaigning is very intense (laughs) and there's kind of the, the work that goes in before the campaign around, you know, okay, what's our platform going to be? What type of vision do we want to put forward? And then being able to get people excited about local politics. That's a passion of mine. Um, Being able to translate things, like the zoning bylaw renewal or district planning or our growth management framework into things that are relevant and tangible for everyday folks. Um, I love that translation work. So a big part of our campaign was just kind of getting people inspired to get involved. Um, and I think we were pretty successful with that. We had you know over 100 volunteers who, who took part in our campaign. And one of my favorite things is that the vast majority of volunteers had never been involved in a political campaign before. So these were not, you know, quote unquote, politicos by any means. Uh, this was very much a grassroots, ideas driven campaign. Um, and I was very proud of that. Um, and of course, I had a fantastic team of, you know, passionate city builders around me too. Yeah, it was a very crowded race, I will say. There was no incumbent. Uh, which usually draws a lot of folks out. So we didn't really know what the results were going to be. We we felt like we were in a fairly strong position, um, but you never know. And yeah, on election night, uh, to see that result come in, it was very surreal, you know, very overwhelming. Once that passed, it's like, okay, now now the real work starts. And that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. So what are some of your hopes for your future work, you know, rest of this year and next year as a city councilor in Edmonton? Yeah. So in terms of priorities, um, one of the top ones throughout our campaign and that I will absolutely be carrying forward is around housing and homelessness. So right now, especially coming out of the pandemic, a lot of folks are hurting. Um, We've seen the number of folks experiencing homelessness really increase quite dramatically. And I'm a big believer in something called permanent supportive housing. So it's quite different than a shelter where, you know, people kind of get kicked out every day. You're not not often dealing with the systemic 
um, challenge or the root cause. And, you know, shelters absolutely are necessary, but being able to provide permanent supportive housing where there's wraparound supports and services, so mental health supports, addiction supports, employment supports, et cetera, that, that model has been shown to um, result in real, real recovery and integration into community. So being able to provide a strong voice um, for permanent supportive housing is something that I campaigned on. Um, I heard it on a lot of doors too. You know, it's it's not really a, a me push. I mean, it, it is. I'm passionate about it. But Edmontonians were telling me that we need to do something. Um, and I, I'm also hearing that around the council table as well, just having conversations with some of my colleagues. So I think that's going to be a push across the board. Another big one for me, I, I mentioned it before, but action on climate change, that's huge. I mean, I'm a relatively young person and uh, for all of my adult life, that has been a major concern. Um, thinking about what type of city we're going to leave behind for our kids and grandkids. So in Edmonton's context, we have something called the Community Energy Transition Strategy. Uh, so the current, or sorry, previous council uh, said yes to the strategy, but it's very much going to be up to the next council to implement it. So there's over 100 action items in there. Everything from, you know, managing the way we grow to transitioning our, our fleet to be low carbon, um, nature-based solutions as well, being able to protect and preserve our green space, our river valley. That's all incredibly important too. And another big one for me, which is going to probably come as no surprise as a planner, um, is around land use and being able to gently densify our neighborhoods. So my ward in particular is all older, mature communities. There is no greenfield um, or suburban build out. And a lot of the communities that I serve, they've experienced population decline over the last 40 years. So they have seen grocery stores closing and leaving, um, schools closing, just you know, a, a lack of um, almost vibrancy and being able to get our zoning right so that we can start to welcome those community serving amenities and businesses back, um, being able to get housing options right so that there's affordable family-friendly infill opportunities. And at the same time, making sure there's accessible age-friendly housing so that seniors who have lived there for many years are able to downsize and age in the communities they love. Um, and then one concept that I talked about quite extensively during my campaign was 15-minute communities. And it's starting to become, uh, and I never know if I'm just in my planning bubble um, or if it has sort of spread beyond that. I think it's spread beyond that. But it's this idea that you should be able to live fairly locally, you know, being able to walk, bike, roll to everything you need within about 15 minutes of your house. Um, so it's that concept of complete communities. So right now, um, a lot of neighborhoods and a lot of Edmontonians, you know, they have to own a car just to get a loaf of bread, you know, or, or go to the corner store or go to a cafe. Um, so that's a huge focus of mine. And uh, when talking about that concept on the doors, it really resonates with people. You know, they can think of examples of other cities where they visited, where that was a reality. Um, we'd like to see that here too. Yeah, lots of good stuff in there. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you share some of these hopes with your colleagues. I'm wondering, particularly since you said, I don't know if you're like the youngest person on council, but certainly um, in the younger demographic, like how are you envisioning um, working with what I assume is probably a, like a diverse slate of 
other city councilors with you know different priorities and different political leanings um what what is that going to look like or what has it looked like already for you yeah so far it's felt um you know very collaborative which is is fantastic i think that um the beauty of local government is that there are diverse perspectives. Um, everyone comes from a different background, different life experience and expertise. And I think being able to, you know, have those conversations and, and sometimes respectfully disagree, you end up in a better place because of it. Um, so that's that's the dynamic work that I'm really looking forward to. But I will say that in terms of shared vision and priorities, uh, Edmonton does have something called the city plan, which is our municipal development plan. And again, the current, or my apologies, the previous council um, has approved it. But again, it's going to be up to the current council to really implement it and follow through and make sure that the vision outlined in the city plan is achieved. So we do have that as kind of our guiding um, guiding document, if you will. Um, and included in the city plan are concepts like 15-minute communities, uh, our more affordable, diverse infill opportunities, um, even things like public and active transit, making sure that we have those options so that people can move in ways that work for them. Um, and the really interesting thing about the city plan is it doesn't just frame things in terms of lifestyle, but it also attaches uh, sort of the dollars and cents to that. So it talks about um, limiting our outward growth, not only from an environmental perspective, being able to preserve valuable farmland, but also talks about it from a fiscal perspective. You know, as we spread uh, further and further, there's a huge infrastructure burden that gets placed on us as a city. And um, if we're able to actually achieve what is set out in the city plan, we will actually see about a 5% residential tax reduction. So kind of regardless of um, of what people's you know mo motivations are, maybe some folks are much more focused on the fiscal side of things. Maybe some people are more focused on the environmental or lifestyle. It's a cohesive plan that speaks to all of those things. Because again, as I said, Everything's connected. Yeah. And that those different sorts of values and priorities definitely speak to our Strong Towns audience too. I'm curious, how did you get connected with Strong Towns originally? I mean, I've always been engaged with Strong Towns because I love their work. I feel like for most people, it's like someone shared an article with them and they can't remember yeah. which it is. But still, um, yeah, if you remember like what drew you. I've written a few articles for Strong Towns. Um, but I've always loved the holistic approach that Strong Towns takes. Um, it isn't just focused on, you know, city building from an environmental or lifestyle perspective. It, it really includes that economic argument too. So that's initially what I really loved about the Strong Towns approach. Yeah, and I will definitely make sure to share the articles that you've written for us um, with everybody in the show notes too. Um, What's going to be the the future of Yeg Garden Suites if you're focused on being um, city councilor? Will you have time for both or will it kind of take a pause? So I am stepping down from Yeg Garden Suites. My co-founder is still involved and uh, will actually be building out a board is what our intentions are. Um, and yeah, Yeg Garden Suites actually, so that's the Edmonton division, but we're technically Canada Backyard Housing Association. And we have operations in Calgary uh, and anticipating that we're virtually going to be in a number of other cities across Canada. So those those are the plans for Yeg Garden Suites. 
it's really interesting to kind of grown that it's, it's my baby. <laughs> uh, so to, to watch it evolve um, and being able to, yeah, kind of step away from it. Um, it's actually quite, quite rewarding for me too. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting and like affirming of what you've accomplished there. Um, and I think the experience of like, focusing on one thing and then realizing, oh, I can also really make a difference in this other arena of local government is a story that people will definitely relate to. So to close us out here, what advice would you give for other people that are seeing issues in their cities around housing, access, uh, transportation, all the things that you care about um, and want to like step up and take, take that step to start to make their towns a little bit stronger? What, what do you think is a good place for people to start? What would you suggest? So I would say <laughs> don't wait for someone to give you permission to do something about it. I remember in the very early days of Yeg Garden Suites when we were totally not legitimate. <laughs> we were just like this scrappy little nonprofit um, that started in like our basement. Um, I remember calling up the city and saying, hello we are Yag Garden Suites, this very legitimate organization. Would you like to you know, partner with us and come and speak at one of our events? Uh, and they said yes. So I think that being open to kind of that organic uh, collaboration and just letting things grow, and I guess being open to seeing who, who joins you at the table, that's one piece of advice I would give. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I never expected yeah, garden suites to grow like it did. I just, I didn't even think there was that much interest and being open to seeing where that takes you, you know, yeah, garden suites started as a very kind of niche, very focused organization. And it still is, you know, it's, it's about garden suites, about laneway housing, but it allowed us to have conversations about, you know, things like minimum parking requirements or, um, the preservation of green space or just larger macro conversations about infill development and how imperative that is for our environmental and uh, financial stability. So, yeah. And then maybe it'll lead you to run for council, no. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's what I would say. Be open to going down a path that you might not have all the answers for. There might be some uncertainty, but if you're incredibly passionate about it and you see room for improvement and change, um, don't be afraid to, to step down it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ashley Salvador, um, and congrats on your city council win. Um, it's been great to talk to you today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you.